0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. As we study the book of Mark together, which we are doing, we're going slowly through the book of Mark, you know, one verse, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're doing that with this mindset that we are to continue his mission. We are continue to continue his ministry. We don't just want to read his words and know them. We want to have that inclination to obey, to follow what it is that we're reading. And so it's not enough just to know about it. We are continuing the mission and the ministry of Jesus that he began 2,000 years ago. And in the last two previous messages through the book of Mark, chapter one, we've studied significant events, all of which were preparatory to the ministry of Christ coming forth. We looked at John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and then he baptized thousands of people. Hungry hearts were streaming into the Jordan River to to know God and to know him more intimately, to know him closely, to believe this message through this messenger that was rugged and remarkable at the same time. We saw John in the first eight verses, and then we looked also at the events of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his ministry beginning, which we will read about today. We saw Jesus be baptized in water by John. We also saw Jesus be empowered with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him without measure. And we also saw Jesus go into the wilderness, led of the spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And he overcame the devil on behalf of humanity. That's why he was there. He wasn't led in the wilderness to be tempted. He was led into the wilderness to take back authority. And he did. And this is what he gives to his church upon his ascension, which we're not going to be reading about for a long time. That's why you have to follow the whole nine-month study It's going to take us a while, but today we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20, and we're going to see several things. One, we're going to see this now unfold where Jesus steps into his ministry, number one, and then number two, we're going to see the first invitation that he gave to these four disciples, which was not the only one he gave, but it is the first. And so read with me here, verse 14 to 20. It says this, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "'Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men.' "'Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. "'Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, "'and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, "'mending the nets. "'Immediately he called them, "'and they left their father Zebedee in the boat "'with the hired servants and went away to follow him.'" Amen, this is the word of the Lord. As we've seen before in the book of Mark, and we see here again, Mark summarizes what other gospel accounts take, more, uh, they take up more detail with. And so you're going to find in Matthew and Luke and a little bit in John, you're going to find more detail than what Mark gives us. He's always summarizing significant events. And there are several things that we want to unpack. We're going to unpack three things. Two, before we get to the point of the message, which is really the invitation of discipleship from the Lord Jesus himself. But the first thing we read about in verse 14 is that John's ministry ended. This is John the Baptist, the one we've read about in the first eight verses. Jesus returns from being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and he learns this news. Now after, John had been taken into custody. That's all that Mark says. And I I want to unpack this just a little bit because it's important to understand that John decreased so that Christ could increase. The word here, taken into custody, three words, is actually one Greek word, and it literally means to be handed over or delivered. Sometimes it's translated as betrayed. And this is supposed to be, the, it is the same word, but it's supposed to give us sort of a parallel to how Jesus was betrayed. When it says that Jesus was handed over to the authorities or Jesus was betrayed by Judas, same word here for John. John wasn't just arrested, John was betrayed. John was delivered up, John was handed over. And we're gonna see the same thing happens to Jesus later on in this gospel account. And I believe that the writers of scripture meant Mark meant for us to get that parallel. He meant for us to understand that, that John's ministry had similarities to the the person of Christ and the ministry of Christ. In Mark chapter six, and there's other passages in scripture, it actually tells us why John was arrested. And we'll read about that a little bit later. But just a summary, John was put into prison because he accused Herod Antipas of committing a great sin by marrying his niece, who was also the wife of his brother, herod philip and this act was unlawful if you read leviticus 18:16 it says to not sleep with your brother's wife and so john was the type of preacher he was the type of personality where he was not afraid to say hard things everybody say hard things, hard things. this was a man that if you were friends with him and you didn't like to hear hard things you wouldn't be friends with john John wouldn't have a problem looking at your life saying exactly what he thought, according to the scriptures, and tag a verse along with whatever he said, and he said this to to King Herod. Now, don't get confused about the Herods. There are six Herods mentioned in the Bible, and they all come from Herod the Great. Herod the Great loved his name, all right? So he gave his sons that name and probably forced a couple of them to give their sons that name. There are six mentioned in the Bible. That's not all of them, but those are the ones referenced. So here we have Herod Antipas. That's the one John the Baptist accused, and rightfully so, of marrying his niece, who was also his uh, brother's wife. That's Herod Philip. And so this was a grievous sin before God. As a result of that, Herod Antipas put him into prison. And later on in Mark chapter 6, we see that his life was Was taken. Now remember, John is the forerunner of Christ. That's his calling. It was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that he would be the forerunner of Christ. Now he's been fulfilling his ministry, and at this point, he's completely fulfilled it. And John knew that. He was the last prophet from the old covenant. He was the last old covenant prophet. John chapter 3 and verse 27 all the way through, I think, 36. John is being asked about Jesus because John's disciples hear that John is still baptizing people. And now this one whom he labeled as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus's disciples are now baptizing more disciples than we are. And so John's disciples are like, hey, this seems like it's a problem. We had a great ministry thing going on. And I know you think really well of this individual, who is your natural cousin, but they're discipling and are baptizing more than we are. And John, over those verses in John chapter three, says, hey, hey, listen, this is actually what must happen. I came to prepare for the Messiah. He's been identified. John is clearly saying that Jesus is that. And he says this very verse, which sometimes we misquote, and I'm gonna nail you for today in case you're one of those. John 3 30, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. Sometimes we will put it like this. He must increase that I might decrease. Now, every now and again, a well-meaning person will say, you know, brother Ben, I must decrease that Christ must increase. Okay. That's always true. We should never want to be in the way of Christ. We always want to be behind the Christ. We never want to take the glory of Christ. We always want to give all glory to Christ. But that verse is spoken by the last old covenant prophet. And what John meant, when you look at the context, is that my ministry is fulfilled. And so he knew... What, I, what we're doing here, it's coming to an end. I must decrease and all that I represent as the forerunner of Christ, what I'm doing, what I was sent here to do, what was prophesied, what I'm standing in has been fulfilled. Now the ministry of the Messiah must come forth. And this is really vital. I'm saying it because John knew his ministry was Over and he had done what he came to do. John knew Jesus was the Messiah. And so we should know not to use that verse because of the significance in history of what it actually meant. So if you want to say something about you being humble, just say, Well, we want to make sure we bring glory to Christ. But don't say it as though we're John in that moment because John is saying something very historical. Amen. Anyways, I just get a little cringy when somebody says, You know, I must decrease that he must increase. That is totally missing the point of an old covenant prophet making a very important statement. Just say amen so I can keep going. All right. Mark chapter 6, we're going to look further here in the next months about John the Baptist and what happened surrounding his death. But we know John's ministry ended. And that leads us to the second point that we see here in verses 14 and 15. And that is Jesus's ministry began. Verse 14. Now after John had been taken into custody... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I I love that. It's like a metaphor. The kingdom of God is at hand. When I think of something being at hand, it's so close you can touch it. The kingdom of God is here. It's so close you can grab a hold of it. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus left Judea as John was arrested. Some scholars believe that he left because it was possible that Herod Antipas would arrest anybody connected to John as he's already identified Jesus as the Messiah. And so that would have been of great interest to King Herod. So he leaves Judea, that region, and he comes into the Galilean region, which we we obviously read about here in the next several verses. But it's important to understand the words that Jesus says. He says, it says here that he was preaching the gospel of God. And we know gospel means good news. We've talked about this in the first couple verses of the book of Mark. Gospel means good news. And the response to the gospel, he preaches the gospel of God, and the response to that are two things. He's very specific. Here's the good news. Here's how you respond. And the first one is this. He said, the time has come and the kingdom of God is near. The time has come is a reference to the time frame of God's promises now being fulfilled. The promises, of course, are related to the kingdom of God being established on the earth through the coming messiah. Kingdom is referring to the rule and the reign. Specifically here it's the rule and the reign of God. And and we need to know that there are many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about God establishing his kingdom on the earth. Now, we have to understand the rule And the reign of God, the only God. He is the only God. There is no other God. The rule and the reign of God is over every galaxy. It is over every planet. It is over every person. Just because people don't acknowledge God does not mean that his kingdom is small. It does not mean that Jesus came and started something. It means that he inaugurated it on the earth. Okay, it's that he took back authority and that he had given something to us that we had lost to the enemy. We gave over authority to the enemy in the garden. Jesus took it Back, But it does not mean his kingdom is small. The kingdom, the rule and the reign of God is over all people at all times, no matter how anybody responds to God. And so Jesus is not saying, okay, now's the time for my kingdom to grow a little bit. He's, he's offering something that is very profound and very important because when Jesus comes preaching the kingdom and that's in the context of these prophecies that have been given for years and years where the Jewish people are Are awaiting the Messiah to come. They're thinking in this sort of geopolitical sense that the Messiah is gonna come and overthrow every other kingdom on the earth at that time and call Israel to rule and reign on his side. It's sort of a military, political understanding of what's supposed to happen. But when Jesus preaches the kingdom of God is now or the kingdom of God is near, what he is not saying is that he's going to do what they're assuming. He's not just going to overthrow all of the governments of the earth in this sort of geopolitical sense. And they're just going to do this dominating takeover. That's what they wanted because anytime somebody's under oppression, of course, they want that oppression to be overthrown. But their understanding was not that the Messiah would come back and suffer and die on behalf of our sins so that we could be made right with God. And then he would go and then he would come back again and he would consummate what he inaugurated. They didn't understand that. And now it is in the scriptures, there is the prophecies of the first coming and prophecies of the second coming. And there's this sort of tension of the in-between time and it would take a long time to go through that, but they didn't understand first, second coming. They didn't understand tension in between. That's the time frame where the Bible would call it the last days. And the last day or the great day of the Lord is the second coming in scripture. And so we know from Acts chapter 2 that we are in the last days. That was inaugurated with the coming of Christ and obviously with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now we as the church of Jesus are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ until the king returns. So we have bowed our knee and we have professed Jesus as Lord because he is, he's the king and we're in his kingdom, but his kingdom is going to swallow up the whole earth. He already owns everything. Everything is the Lord's, but Jesus came as a suffering servant, inviting rebellious hearts to bow their knee and to profess him as Lord. It's an invitation and he bids everyone to come. Now we are in the camp. Our church is in the camp that we believe everybody can come to Christ. Now there are some camps, there's camp A and there's camp B. Camp a says that he's already picked his team and this is just playing out as he wants to. That's not the camp that we're in. You signed up for camp B. Camp B means that we believe that God is inviting everyone to come into his kingdom. Jesus died for everyone so that all could come into relationship with their heavenly father because all are rebellious. And so we're, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why the church has the focus on the gospel and the king and the kingdom. And it's very important that We understand this because we can't give ourselves just to barbecues, potlucks, and raffles. Now, I love a good barbecue. Last night was, man, it was party central up in Northwest Church. I loved it. We're going to do it again. Amen. We're going to do it in a couple weeks. The staff doesn't know that yet. They just found out. But you know what? Here's the thing. I love a good potluck and raffle. I love bingo and all that. And I'm sure as you know, that I'll start to like Pinochle too. I don't know, but I like church events. But if the church ceases to focus on the mission of Christ, we cease to be a church. And so when the gospel came, he's inviting us to bow the knee, to surrender our lives and to come into his kingdom by choice. But his kingdom is coming nonetheless because his kingdom exists already. God's kingdom never, never receded. It never receded. It's that he gave us humanity, men and women, us on the earth. He gave us a place to flourish. He gave us in relationship with him. He gave us this planet. He said, multiply, subdue the earth. And we gave that over to the enemy. So Jesus in his love comes and takes it back for us and says, let's do this again. And gives us an opportunity to come back into relationship with him. Now, I'm saying all this to say that we have to understand the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is what we've talked about before. The gospel of salvation is that Jesus came, he died, he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And anybody that places their faith in Christ and repents and turns from their old life and signs up for Jesus as Lord is saved. Not just temporarily, but eternally. We are made right with our Heavenly Father. We come back into our created order. We're all created beings. We come back into relationship with God and that is the gospel of salvation. The gospel of of salvation is the door into the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that God is coming back to be king over this earth as he is already anyways and he is inviting us to participate in his kingdom before everyone is mandated and we understand that word very well. Before we are are all forced to comply, we are invited. Too soon? So there is a better way of doing government. I'm sorry, let's just keep going. Everybody say "Gospel of the kingdom." Gospel of salvation." Gospel of salvation is the doorway into the gospel of the kingdom or into the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. Friends, let me remind you today as we gather together, the kingdom of God is, and now the kingdom of God is coming to be established fully and physically on the earth. What we are believing is the truth. It's no fairy tale. It's no fiction story that sounds good to to tell your kids when they're going to bed at night. This is the truth. Jesus is going to show up. And when Jesus shows up, it's going to be the biggest aha moment our world has ever seen. But that is going to happen. And so now we have an opportunity... And this is what I've bowed my knee to. This is what we are here to believe in and to be reminded of. And this is what we are pursuing. We share the gospel of salvation so that people can come into the kingdom. It is the doorway. Amen. So this is what Jesus says. The time has come. The time is now the kingdom is inaugurated. It will be consummated at his second coming, but it is inaugurated and it's a spiritual kingdom. It will become a physical kingdom. But for those that believe in Christ, it is very physical. It is as real as anything possibly can be. And so here are the two responses that he gives to those that are listening. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. These two responses always go together in the Bible. To believe is to utterly and completely adhere to the truth of the king and his kingdom. I want to emphasize this. To believe is not to mentally ascribe to a a propositional truth. Uh, Yeah, that's true. And then it doesn't affect our lives. That is not what this word means. To believe is is to trust in. It's to wholly rely upon. It's to hang on. This is the truth. That's what to believe means. Yes, we're living in a time where this has been misused. So we kind of use the term, it's to have faith in Christ. But words are very powerful and words are very important. Sometimes people will say, well, I have faith in you. And I have faith that this is gonna happen. I have faith that the stock market's gonna go up. I have faith that my cryptocurrency wallet's gonna expand. I don't know, I have faith that my business is gonna do well. I have faith that masks are never gonna be brought up again. I've got a lot of faith. You must. Or whatever, you know, we, I, I don't care about mass. I'm just, but my point is like, we are, I have faith. I have faith. So we use the word faith as sort of this like believe, like in my head, I believe something, but we don't think of the word as it's truly meant. I believe, I give my whole life to this. This is the truth. There is no other truth. When Jesus says, believe in the gospel, he's not saying, agree with me. Now tell others that this is a better truth than the other options. He's, he's saying, this is the truth. There is no other. Put your whole life in this. All the chips go to the center of the table. All of them. All of them. Not. Don't hold back. All. He says, believe. It's to utterly and completely adhere to the truth of the kingdom and his kingdom. All future hope to them, to the original hearer, all future hope of anything or anyone else is to now be placed in the person of Christ. Now think about how they would have heard that if they thought that the geopolitical you know, dismantling of and overthrowing of those particular kingdoms were to happen in their day. And they see Jesus and he's saying, repent and believe the good news and sort of follow me. And so there's this movement starting, but it doesn't look like anything that's carrying a weapon. It doesn't look like anything that's going to overcome vicious Roman soldiers. I mean, Roman soldiers were vicious. I mean, there's, I mean, history books are taught about the stratagem of warfare and using Roman soldiers and, and their, str- their strategy of warfare. I mean, they were vicious. So when they're looking at Jesus... And he looks like a rabbi, and the followers really aren't much for picking up swords and spears. They've got to be like messed with in their mind. Like there is no way this band of misfits following this teacher is going to overthrow anything in any sense of the kingdom. Like I would not follow these guys as warriors, you know. So it's like he's he's trying to help them understand that. As you follow me, you have to abandon all hope for any other way forward. You may have thought this was going to happen differently, but you have to totally and completely believe that I am the king and this is the way of the kingdom. You might have thought that it was going to happen differently. You may have thought I was going to look different, that I was going to appear different, that I was going to do different, but it's not going to happen. And so you have to abandon all of those other thoughts, and that would have been hard for them to do. Now, when we're talking about it today, it's a little easier for us to do that because we have all this history that helps us. We, we build on so much. They wouldn't have, have got that. It would have messed with them every day based on the theology that they had and the understanding of how that was going to work itself out. And so Jesus is saying, believe the king and the kingdom has come, and it's different than you thought. That's the contrast, or that's in the back of their mind when they're hearing what he's saying. The second thing, he says, repent. The word repent means to change, and we need to understand this as a call to radical change. It wasn't just change a little bit, Change sometimes, change when you feel like it. Stop doing a little bit of bad habits. I need to put this down. I need to get a little bit better in my life. Change meant to wholly and completely change. It's a full turning about. Sometimes repentance is meant to be understood in this way. In our sin, we turned away from the face of God. And in repentance, we turn back to face his face again. It's that all of our shame in Christ, our shame is obliterated. Our sin is obliterated. And we can face a holy, loving, merciful God again. We can stand in his presence again because Jesus gives us that place. We can't have that place. There's nothing we can do to have that place before God. But Jesus brings us back into that place. So when he's saying repent, it's also an invitation and an offer as much as it is an admonition. We, we have to stop hearing the word repent as this angry thing that you must do in and of yourself because if we're not careful, what we will do is we will tell people in themselves, in their own strength and by their own works that they can rid themselves of their past and then stand in the presence of a holy God. It is not possible. It is not possible. Even to repent, we need the help of God. Even for us to change, we need the help of God. So it is an invitation. Repentance is an admonition, but it's also an invitation. God is willing and God is able and God is committed to helping those who choose to turn to him. He will give us the strength to do what we couldn't do. So friend, whenever you hear repentance, think about God offering you the grace to do the very thing that he's asked you to do. Whenever you think about something that needs to change in your life, the very next thing you need to think is God can help me to change that. It cannot be I gotta change that. You got We gotta stop saying that. That is a works-based righteousness and you know and I know it doesn't work. And if you want to prove that to yourself, go look in the mirror. You can do this after the service. Just walk on into the restroom and you might be next to somebody washing their hands. That's fine. But just look in the mirror or go home if you just don't feel comfortable at church doing this. Look in the mirror and say, I'm g- whatever the worst thing about your character and life is, the hardest thing you face, and look at the mirror and say, I'm going to change that. And then try not to laugh. You say, Ben, you've been a pastor for longer than you should have at your age. That's true. What have you learned in that time? Well, one thing I've learned is every person that I'm looking at today has some issues. And the unfortunate part of that, and I, but I love you, but I love you. I say that, so you got some. I say that in the nicest possible way. Yeah, the worst part is that some people don't know it. So awareness is our first step toward deliverance. Watchman Nee said that in many of his books. Awareness is the first step toward deliverance. That's why awareness is vital. If we don't, repentance isn't just, I said something I shouldn't say, or I did something I shouldn't have done, or I went off the handle, or what. Repentance is root system. It's not branches and fruit. It's root system, okay? And when you come to the place of root system, you stay there. You stay on your knees before God. You stay dependent before God. You stay in the recognition that he has and you don't. And it's his power flowing through you. But we have an unfortunate uh, understanding of repentance. Sometimes we use the word repentance the way that the English dictionary tells us like for example a lot of words come from latin we we know that and if you are homeschooling you definitely know that cuz you learn all that stuff but anyhow in our home it's funny it shouldn't be a lot of words come from latin roots and the word repent in latin means to be sorry again that, and, and just think about the implications of that for a second. It means to be sorry again. So we run down to the altar. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I screwed up. I'm so bad. And, he, and you know, like the rest of us are like, yep, yeah, you are. Yeah, you did. But God doesn't see it like a man or a woman. He doesn't see us the same way. It's not just about being sorry again, and then we try to earn it back. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have real tears sometimes. I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel Uh, remorse or be sorry but what I'm saying is is that we're not begging God in sort of some penance where we're proving to him that we're actually we don't want this we're sorry and uh and we need your help Uh, God see how serious I am this time I think sometimes the word repentance just gets misunderstood it does because repentance is change and so you have to calculate the cost you have to think about this, okay? It's, it's, it's something sometimes, and I see this in our, in our church at times where we'll give a call of repentance or we'll give a call to the altar or something. And I love how sometimes people will be sitting and they'll sit in the seat for five minutes before they make their way up. I respect that. I, lo- I love the fact that it takes some time. Sometimes the quickest people to the altar are not the most repentant in our midst, encounters don't always lead people to repentance because we have this thing in us, emotional part of us, which I'm not putting down. We are emotional people. We should never apologize for that. God gave us emotions. He also gives us self-control by the Holy spirit to know how to manage those emotions. So we're not given to emotionalism. Okay. But we are emotional and we should expect emotional responses in, in every sphere of life. But what I'm saying is, is, sometimes out of our emotion, we'll burst forward and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm but our intention of true transformation is not always present. And okay, I'll give you a great illustration because I'm feeling that's what you want. <laughs> I really want to lose more weight. And I look at those Fig Newtons and I say, you know, <laughs> this is the last time. <laughs> this is it. This is it, you know, I believe wheat thins made me thin. This is it. This is the last time I'm not buying them anymore. I'll even go, I'll do what Adam did. I'll blame my wife. You bought those from Costco. I don't care if they were on sale, you know, you know, I, in my, in my head, it sounds I'm sorry, but I'm still eating. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm emotional about it, too. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to, you know, have a swimsuit of any kind. You know, I don't want to. Let's go swimming. It sounds like a horrible proposition. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 you look at yourself physically sometimes, <laughs> and you feel fairly emotional about it. And you like, ah, oh, I got to stop doing that. But you're picking the fig new, whatever your thing is. You understand? Just... Uh, put in the, but you just keep, but you keep doing it. But there's a difference when you make a decision to change the way you live. And that's a lot harder to do. Now I've done that. I used to be 55 pounds heavier. So I know what it, I know what it is. If any of you have ever had to lose a pound in your life, trust me, you found somebody that's got compassion. All right. But I'm a person that had to struggle through like physical weight, you know, most of my life. And so I know what it is to have that Tension physically, but I'll tell you, it speaks some of you don't. Some of you, God gave you a furnace, you know, and you just you look fit, but you're not healthy. I'm just saying, I'm not judging, but <laughs> you look, but you just like you just throw it all down. It's like it just consumes, you know what I mean? Like, where did it go? I don't know. It tasted good, I think. But but my, my point is that spiritually, it's the same thing. We can't just it's not about Jesus didn't say say you're sorry. Jesus didn't, he didn't just mean that. What he meant was you have to have the intention to change, but he will accompany that intention to change. You understand what I'm saying? He'll give you the power to change, but we have to show up for it and say, I'm ready to change. See, that's the thing is that one of the things that we do here at the church when we come together and there's a power of gathering together is that we provoke one another on to love and good deeds. We provoke one another for change and transformation. It's something that happens when God's people gather together and and that when you don't gather with God's people, you miss it. And that's why people drift and you know what I'm talking about. It, it happens. You just start to drift. It isn't because you don't have the spirit. It isn't because you don't have the Bible. It isn't because you don't love Jesus. It's because there's something about gathering together, being the people of God. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're the church, the ecclesia of God. And when we gather, there's a conviction. There's his, his manifest presence. There's power. There's agreement. We come into agreement and we're reminded. And sometimes... When we're by ourselves, we start to believe weird stuff, strange thoughts. Well, that's not really what that means. All the while, what we're really doing is we're accommodating our flesh. That's what false doctrine will do. It will accommodate the flesh and there'll be no change. When Jesus preached repentance, he was saying, you can choose to turn away from self And you can turn toward him. Everybody is born with a sinful, selfish, self-seeking way. And let me tell you what it is also. It's God resistant. We're born with a resistance towards God. And I'll tell you, this is about resistance to leadership and lordship. That's what it is. It's not a resistance toward religion. It's a resistance towards leadership and lordship. And Jesus came preaching a kingdom, saying my, a repentance, saying, my kingdom is at hand. Change leadership. I'm the leader now. You get to choose to come under my leadership. That's what you get to do. You get to choose that. I am the leader, though. He, he's letting us know there's going to come a time in the future where I'm coming back. Every eye will see. Every Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. That time's coming. But right now, I'm preaching the kingdom of heaven. I'm preaching the kingdom is near repent and believe. He's offering and he's inviting something very profound, very powerful We were created to be under his leadership, not the dictatorship of sin or self or the world or the devil. We were created to be under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King and his kingdom. This is why we cannot preach faith in Christ alone. There has to be the response of repentance. Repentance is where we turn from and abandon every other possible way and every other leader. Jesus Christ is the leader. What he says is what it is. Where he goes is where we go. What he wants is what we want. We have been purchased with a price. We are no longer our own, the Bible says. We have been purchased with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's a change of leadership. That's what it is. A hundred years ago, William Booth said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. He said that a hundred years ago. Repentance is a well-understood concept in the Old Testament. They were called to repentance often. Psalms 30, 1 Kings 21, Daniel 9. The Hebrew people practice repentance. It's important to know what it looked like. I could go through a lot of scriptures. One of it was open confession to sin. We saw that in Mark chapter one, verse one through eight, they openly confessed their sin. They did not conceal it. That's why King David said, those that do not hide their sin are blessed. Those that conceal their sin, it's like their bones are eating away. It was a metaphoric way of saying there's something inside that's never right. It's torment, it's agony, a person that conceals their sin. But then he goes on to say, a person that confesses their sin is blessed, is blessed. Why? Because they're not holding anything in and they're not afraid and they stand before a holy God just as they are. As it is inside, so it is outside, nothing holding back. They openly confess their sin. Now, I'm not gonna have you do that today, but I've seen people do it and I've been there when it happens. Last night, we baptized 21 people and... And there were people that got in there uh, into the baptismal, and maybe you didn't catch that if you were here, but they were openly confessing their sin when they were saying, "I want to change." So sometimes we would ask them the where que- well, we would ask everyone the question, "Why are you getting baptized?" Pastor Scott would ask them, "Why are you getting baptized?" A lot of different answers, but they all sort of saying the same thing. There was a-, a man he might be watching. He had never been to our church before. He's been watching us online. And he said, uh, he waited to talk to me outside while I was getting a burger. The best of both worlds, amen. (laughs) But he walked up to me and never seen him before. He had never been here before. He said, I've been watching you online. Online people, we know you're there, we see you. And he said this to me, said, Ben, I've been watching for some time. And there was a point at which in your sermon where you basically said, I don't remember how he phrased it, but it's, I mean, in, in my language, it's like, it's time to stop messing around or something like that. It was like, it's, it's time to give your whole life to Jesus and nothing less. And I said something like that. And it just, he said, it, it's like an arrow went into my heart. He's like, I could have heard that a hundred other times. But when I heard that, I realized that I'm not where I need to be. I'm, I'm not in repentance. And, he, and I made a commitment. It tor- those words tormented me in, in a healthy way. I made a commitment to change. And he said, my commitment was to go on the website and sign up for baptism. And he said, he had never been here before. And when he got up to get baptized, I'd never seen him before. And then he waited to talk to me afterwards and said, this is my first time here at the church. Love it. Amen. (laughs) I've not been to church in a year and a half or more. And I just want to tell you what it took for him to hear that word, whatever it was, okay. For him to hear that online in his own living room. And to go to the website, he goes to the website. He doesn't just sit there. He goes to the website and he signs up for baptism and he's got to bring himself here. He's never been here. He doesn't know anybody. The uncomfort of being in a place with a people you do not know. You don't know any of them. If you're watching, I just want to tell you, we're proud of you. That's exactly the example that we need to see. All of us have done something like that before. And God reminds us that this is what it's all about. It's the follow through where the breakthrough comes. Amen. And God empowers that when we come before him, he'll give us what we haven't been able to do. He'll say, I'll empower you. But the man came and he stood in that line. He didn't know a person. And when he got into the baptism waters, he was asked, why are you getting baptized? And he said, I'm just changing. My addictions are gone. I'm turning from my sin and I'm giving my whole heart to Jesus. And to him, that was what that meant. See to him, In those waters, that's exactly what that meant. And I believe the same for every person that was standing in those baptism waters. You don't do stuff like that. God gave us physical things to do that were outward manifestations of an inward reality. He gave us physical things to do. So sometimes when we come to the altar, that is what God has called us to do. But when we're doing it again and again and again and again, what we have to do is we have to check and see if that's just feeling sorry again, or if our intention is truly to change, are we not posturing ourselves properly? Sometimes those outward acts are the moment of repentance, truly, just as we see in the Old Testament and the New. But other times they could be just this emotional feeling with no true repentance at all. And Jesus is saying, completely rely upon me, completely change and turn to me. And you need him to do that. We also see things like fasting. They wore sackcloth and ashes. You ever read about that in the old Testament? It's a form of repentance. They would wear a burlap sack. Anybody have burlap in here today? You know, like, uh, my dad had an army blanket growing up And every now and again it'd get a little cold in our house And we would take out that old army blanket And it felt like burlap That's the closest I've ever gotten to sackcloth And I was like I'm real cold But I really don't like this blanket I, You couldn't get rid of that blanket I mean it might be sentimental to some of you Just hear what I'm saying But that army blanket man I could, That thing was like what you have A hundred pounds of potatoes in I was like why did you give this to your child When he's cold you know Sorry, mom and dad. I love you. But it's like they would put sackcloth and ashes, you know, ashes represents when something is utterly destroyed, it's death. And they would adhere to the public reading of scripture, public reading of scripture, And there was a form of repentance where they would respond. We've turned that into liturgy, is what we've turned it into in tradition. But the response was, it was meant to be from the heart. When the word of God was read, this is why when I read the Bible, I say, this is the word of the Lord. I pray that everything else I say is in line with that. But when I read the Bible, that is the word of the Lord. Whether I respond to it or not, he's the king and he's bringing his kingdom. Whether I respond to that or not, that's the truth. And and we agree. Acknowledge that John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Peter, Paul, the message of repentance cannot leave the church. Just say amen. amen. Now, I had a whole nother point that was supposed to be my sermon today, and I'm just letting you into the secret. Instead of finessing it and acting like it didn't happen, I'm just telling you. So this is why we give you uh, notes. And you can follow along at home, but we will have to close. And let's just close on this, you know, because as we go through Mark, I I didn't intend on going off on that, but I did. There you go. That's what you got. So I want to encourage you today in your path of repentance. We were going to talk about an invitation to discipleship, but let's just say it like this. As we're invited into discipleship with Jesus, we can see how profound and powerful baptism is and repentance is. Um, when I got saved, when I came to Christ, I remember I was utterly rejected by all, pretty much all of my friends at the time, pretty much all of them. And, and uh, I'll leave it there, but lots of colorful language to follow. And as I stayed stable in Christ, as I stayed true to following jesus even though nobody else at the time that i knew was except for my parents who i didn't have we weren't super close or anything because i had been living a whole life of since i was a young a lot younger guy but over about six months or so i had the privilege of leading several of my friends to christ it was like one after another and i i loved coming to church because i was bringing a whole row of people you know because i was dead and now i'm alive and this thing was so real to me and, and it, it never mattered who preached It never mattered, like you know, the the vessel or the messenger. None of that ever mattered. I was now alive, and so I loved to be at church. I would go to all kinds of churches. I always make a joke if it was the women's Bible study, I'd try to get in there if they had the Bible. It wouldn't matter. Like, why are you so exclusive? (laughs) You know. (laughs) Same Bible. Men and women are in it. You know. But uh, I get it now. I get it. I've grown up. But uh, one of my friends at the time, his name was Joe. And him and I ran crazy for years. And then um, I got to, and well, actually my father was the one that prayed the prayer with him, the prayer of salvation to receive Jesus. And as I was walking with him, I invited him to this revival meeting at this Baptist church that we went to. And they invited some preacher from Oklahoma. I'll never forget the guy. I mean, he had a great accent and uh, he was just a big, loud guy, had a big Bible. You know, just everything was big. Uh, <laughs> And, and he preached that night, and I don't remember his message, but he preached repentance. Uh, whether you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian, you can agree with what the guy said. I mean, it was very, very important message, but he preached repentance. And there were a lot of young people there. And uh, many of them would stream to the altar. Now I was just really excited and I didn't stream to the altar because I had already done it like a hundred times. So I'm like, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I'm not aware of any actual grotesque sin in my life that I haven't repented of, although I'm sure it's there lurking somewhere. But I was, I I brought my friend Joe and I was really looking for Joe to go to the altar. You know, that's why I went because I would walk with people to the altar to receive Christ. And I had done that many times. And I would only go to a church that would, that would offer that. And because uh, all my friends were not sick, they didn't know Jesus. And so uh, this message was very, this guy was very offensive. I mean, he was like, I don't agree with everything he would say, you know, but it was like he gave, he, he gave an altar call on the tail end of this concept of repentance. And I'm looking at my friend and my friend gets up in my heart. I'm like, yes, yes, thank you, Lord. Get Joe, Lord, get him. And Joe got up out of his seat and literally walked outside. (laughs) This is not like, this is not what I was hoping for, you know? And so I followed him outside and we sat in the car probably for another half an hour. And this is a totally true story. Exactly how it happened. And he, he basically was living wild and crazy and hadn't given up that life, you know, and immorality and drugs and all that. Had drugs right there in the car. He was just, wait, he was just gonna get high and then drive off and go do what he was gonna do. And I was, but he was at the revival meeting with me, you know, and, and the guy preached repentance. And I pleaded with him. I pleaded with him. And he just looked at me and I'll never forget. He was like, you know, I just don't think that I need to give up these things in my life. That's what he told me. I just don't think I need to give up these things in my life. I said, Joe, it's not about giving up these things in your life. It's not about what you're giving. It's about what you're getting. And you can't see it right now. What God is offering you is so much greater than what you're holding on to. It'd be as dumb as saying, I'm going to hold on to this penny when somebody's offering me a billion dollars. Repentance is giving up your penny. That's all it is. And by the way, God gave us the penny. <laughs> he fashioned it and he gave it to us and he allows us to give it back. But what's truth is he gives us the billion in exchange for it. I gave this to you originally, but I, what I really wanna give you is this, but I'm gonna let you choose. Where it can't be, amen, where it can't be. I'm gonna let you choose. That's the only thing you choose. I gave you faith. I will grant you repentance And I bid you the invitation to come, but I will not force it. You have to give back to me what I gave to you. That's your life. And in response to that, God just dumps out all of these benefits, eternal life, joy, unspeakable forever. The community of faith forever and ever being with God. I pleaded with Joe. He wouldn't hear it. He couldn't hear it. And he drove off. 21 years ago, and I've never seen him since. That's the truth. And that story has haunted me for many years. It's something that sits in in the forefront of my mind as a minister, as a pastor, and I recognize when the Bible says today is the day of salvation, when the Bible calls us to repent, when Jesus bids us to come, I understand the invitation of Christ. I understand what it is, but I also understand that some This is a moment for them that they have to respond to right here and right now. Do not push it off. You may not get it again. And so with that in mind, we're not only invited into discipleship, but the doorway in is repentance. That's what baptism signifies. Death to my old life, resurrection that comes from Jesus. That's the beauty of what we witnessed. And that's the beauty of his invitation. But it's only the beginning of his invitation. And he bids us to come and follow. Would you stand with me as I close? If you're here today and if you're online, maybe we don't think about sometimes people are online listening and they're ready. You're ready. You're ready to give your whole life to God. You're you're ready to respond to him and give everything. That's what he's asking for. Let me be clear. He's not asking for less. He's not asking for just us to agree. He's asking for us to give our entire life. That's repentance. It's a change of leadership. Jesus Christ is Lord. The good news is that he bids us to come. He bids us to come. He's offering it to us now. But that window closes. If not for everyone when he he returns, for us when, when our life is over. So many of us know Jesus Amen. Keep going with Christ. Keep following Jesus. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't fully given your life to him, if you haven't been water baptized in obedience to him, there is something holding you back. There's something holding you back. And that needs to leave your life because it's doing nothing but plaguing you with what you don't want anyways. And so today, after the service, we're going to have pastors and we're going to have leaders that are available. I'm going to pray for the rest of us that, amen, we're following Christ. We're going to keep following Christ. But if you're here today or if you're watching online, type into the comments something so we know we want to follow up with you. But if you're here today and you're saying, Ben, I want to give my life to Christ and I need to do that, or I need to repent. I believe, but I haven't really repented. I'm not, I have, my intention to change isn't there. I'm, I'm still eating the stuff, feeling sorry about it, come, come forward and repent today. And we're, we're not going to treat you any different than we would want to be treated. We're not going to pray for you in any other way than the way we would want somebody to pray for us. We're going to treat you with respect and love because we're all part of that family. We're all we all get the same invitation. We're not the haves, and you're the have-nots. He's the have, and we're all the get to have if we respond to him. And so I bid you to come after the service. Let me pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for all that you're doing, and we pray right now. Lord, that you would give us that heart of repentance. For those that know you and are walking with you, I pray for us. God, would you keep our hearts sensitive and soft that we wouldn't get hardened by the ways of the world or or men and women or offenses or things that happen, but we would soften ourselves to you to become like you, that we would always be pliable in, in your hands as we walk after you and follow you. I also pray, Lord, for those that might be here or watching today that need to give their lives to you wholly and completely. Believe upon you, repent, turn from self and turn to you. And that joy that would enter in, I I pray that also if there's someone that needs to be water baptized, we'll figure it out. But I pray, Lord, that you would convict us knowing that that's not just a symbolic thing that we do. It's obedience to you and it matters. And so I pray, let your conviction rest upon us that we might know what it means to follow you as those that are living under your Lordship. We love you today and we thank you for your message. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.